This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Flying Solo podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. My guest today is Kelly Exeter, our shiny new editor at Flying Solo. Kelly has been published widely across the web, contributing to sites like Mamma Mia, The Hoopla, Kids Spot, and Women's Agenda, and has appeared in print for Marie Claire, Mind Food Magazine, and indeed published her first book, Your Best Year Yet, in 2014. So it's true to say she knows a thing or two about writing, which is why we're going to delve into what makes a great writer. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for being here in, well, in every sense. Uh, thanks, Robert, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So look, let's dive into this topic then of what of what makes a great writer. Because, you know, we heard recently I was uh, interviewing Valerie Koo and she emphasized the importance of, uh, of being of writing and how writing can really help you sort of stand out as, a, as an independent. So what makes a good writer? You know, you're, you're checking writer's work on a regular basis. What are the kind of things that you're looking for? Okay, so the very, very first thing I'm looking for is a really strong voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the most important part. I think most people who can write can get an idea across, but it's really that voice that people connect with. And connected to the whole voice thing is an element of vulnerability. So someone with a strong voice, tends to let the reader look in a little bit mm-hmm. to what's sitting behind their words. And I think those two things, you know, I could I could give you a list, but sure. those two things are really the keys for me. If I read a piece of writing and I really, really connect with it, it's always going to have those two elements beyond, you know, beautifully written words. I, I can read something that's really beautiful writing and beautiful words put down on a page but not connect with it because okay. it's a strong voice and there's not an element of vulnerability of vulnerability to right. it so those two things are for me the number you know, what I'm really really crying out for okay so what about where you know to people listening to this Kelly that maybe have have got opinions and have got yep. sort of views about things that's not what you mean, though, is it? It's more than just having the opinion. How would you say to somebody, or what would you say to somebody who's who's saying, "Yeah, but you know, I, I kind of I know all this stuff. Where do I find my voice?" How would you respond to that? I think start with literally talking. I think it's the conversational aspect. So, if, if you can imagine, okay, you're sitting down to write, and someone's asked you a question, and you've got a strong opinion about that thing that they've asked you about, 
you know, the way that you would talk to them and try to change their mind or try to sway them to your opinion, mm. that's, you know, that's what I want you to write down, you know, because it's that conversational aspect, again, that draws people in. People don't like being kind of talked at. They want to feel like they're part of the conversation and that they're in it and that they get to have their own thoughts as well. So okay. that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the point, so the point you're making then is 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 literally use your your voice, just talk it through, write as if you in the way that you might talk. So that that I think will probably release a few people who are possibly sitting here thinking, you know, oh, I've got this stuff, but I just don't know how to put it down. So when you, if you can think back to the days that you started writing, I mean, I think you started writing at a very young age. So it might, you know, you're very young now, but it's you're going to have to <laughs> think back a fair bit. But um, with with people these days that are sort of um, submitting work to sites, you know, to sites like Flying Solo and others, yeah. do you how do you think they it's okay to submit stuff? Uh, that's kind of not yet got that polish? I mean, can you as an editor, will you still sort of see through um, perhaps a voice that needs work but still be able to see the content? I guess I'm just fishing for some ways that um, someone yeah. maybe who hasn't got that can can still move yeah, forward. Because, you know, no one starts writing with a strong voice. Well, maybe some people do, but very right. few, very, very few do. People start writing the way that they think they should be writing and it's only over time when they see what people connect with which is when they tend to use their real voice Mm -hmm. um, that they get that confidence in that voice and they start writing more along those lines but you know you can certainly submit perfectly functional informational pieces that we will publish that you know are well written but the voice isn't coming through and you know while I prefer the ones that do have that nice strong voice you know, there's absolutely room for those pieces that aren't quite, you know, don't necessarily exhibit that but are still, you know, good pieces of writing. And what I would do is if I spy something in there that's along the lines of what I'm looking for, I'll just say to them, you know, this, you know, this little bit here, this paragraph here. Okay. You know, that's, that's, that's it. That's the one that we, we want to see a bit more of. And I'll work with the writer to get more of that into each, you know, subsequent piece. Gotcha. Fantastic. And I I think I'm thinking back to the first time I ever sort of wrote anything. And, uh, you know, the first time I think I was I was so surprised to actually seeing anything in print as it was in those days. Um, you know, it, it was sort of it was it astonished me. But then I think you kind of get a confidence, don't you, when you see your first thing written and you get a little bit of feedback. I think that almost releases your voice. I think it's fairly natural for people, isn't it, to be hesitant to let that voice go at the outset. Definitely. I think that's the beauty of this world that we're living in now in that so much is online because we, you know, we do get so much more feedback. Like, you know, when you, uh, one of my writing mentors, Alison Tate, she mentioned the other day that, you know, that, you know, when she was writing for magazines, she would write her piece, it'd be written months in advance, it'd go into the magazine and by the time the magazine came out, she'd forgotten all about it and, you know, she might, you know, there might be a letter to the editor about that piece but, you know, there's just, there's not that feedback Um, whereas today we write something, it goes up on the web, people can react to it on on the site, they can react to it on Facebook, 
and you get to real and you know if people really really connect with it then it goes a bit viral then you get a real taste for wow okay so when I when I do that or you know and again I'll come back to vulnerability because this mm. is a, everybody's very scared to do is show their vulnerability but every single time someone does that the reaction is phenomenal and I think it's scary to be vulnerable, but when you do get that positive reaction and that, you know, collective sigh of relief from a whole bunch of people going, oh, thank God, I thought it was just me, um, that really gives you um, the courage to do it again and again. And, and that's when we get some really great, great writing. Mm. So how, do, how again, thinking about... Um you know, say the uh, situation of a of an expert, someone who's who has a particular skill, let's say in writing, maybe about technology, mm-hmm. and about um, innovations in technology. Where might someone like that? Where might vulnerability show up in a, in a piece by that sort of person? Do you think? Um, I think if they just admit, you know, things like admitting that something that's taken off was not necessarily something they thought would take off, okay. or you know, something that they tried didn't work as well as they thought, you know, they thought it would, little things like that. It, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be huge. It can just be tiny little things that people can connect with in the piece. Mm, okay, so just enough to show, hey, I'm a real human being here. You know, I don't know everything. I make mistakes. I miss this. Yeah. I miss that. Okay, got you. Definitely. I think people do. Um, what I've noticed in the last few years is people um, don't like being told what to do as much anymore they like to follow along the journey a little bit more so even you, know, you so you're the expert and you you know more than the people who are reading what you're writing but people do feel they do love it when you admit you don't know everything hmm. okay got you all right so we're talking about what makes a great writer we've looked here at voice we've looked at vulnerability what else do you see what are the other key sort of pointers that you're looking for um well i think when you know when you put these questions to me, I thought to myself, okay, one of the questions you said was, "Can everyone write?" Mm. And I, ha- I kind of came up with a three-part answer that will sort of um, answer what you just what you just okay. okay, hit me. That sounds good. Okay, so at the you know at the core, at the most basic level, yes, everyone can write because if you can speak, you can write. If you can talk to me and share your thoughts about something then you can get a first draft of something down on paper. So anyone can write a first draft. Okay. Okay. So what everybody can't do, however, is the next bit, and it's the editing of that draft. And I guess when we think of great writers, we all like to think that a great writer sits down at their computer, you know, cracks their knuckles, and then just (laughs) bang, (laughs) out comes amazing, beautiful prose that's just, you know, fantastic stuff. But... This is not what happens at all. But this is this is what I used to think, and this is what I've since learned that no nobody does that. No matter how wonderful a writer that they are, no one does that. So right. great writers bang out the same shitty first drafts that everyone does, but then they're able to go back to those shitty first drafts, figure out which bits should stay, which should go, which should be fleshed out. So real in reality, great writers are actually just simply great editors of their own work. Hmm. So, ergo, not everyone can be a great writer because not everyone is willing to do that work, to get down and dirty in get down and dirty with their words, 
edit Kill Their Darlings, as, right. um, as the term goes. So uh, the example of that is oh, I was editing something of my own the other day and there was a paragraph in there that was just really good. You know, it was very funny, um, little, you know, witty, and I loved it, but it didn't add anything to the overall piece. Right. Me, but I had to take it out, and mm. most people aren't willing to do that. Most people aren't willing to read a lot. Most people aren't willing to study the writing of other people and note what they leave in is mm. as important as what they leave out. Um, so that that to me is the essence of you know being a good writer. That's having, the- sorry, I was going to say having the um, willingness. To get back into those words and and edit hard. Okay, I know, and I think that's a great point, and, and I uh, totally hear what you're saying, and, and I can think of a number of instances uh, in my own past where I've written something and I was hanging on to it because it was a little bit yeah. funny or a little bit something, and then you look at it in the end and go, you know what, it, this this whole thing will just fly if I just let go of all that. <laughs> but at what point? I mean, do you get to a point where you can you can look at um, you know 500 or a thousand words that you've edited and you can go right. That just can't get any better. Do you, do you get to that point or do you get to the point which says, I can't spend any more time on this? I do get to the point of thinking it can't get any better. It's pretty spot on and then I'll publish it and then I'll go back to it a few months later and it's pretty clear that it could get better <laughs> and what I could have done. But essentially no piece is ever going to be perfect because if when you go back to it two months later, you're coming back to it with fresh eyes but also fresh experience. Mm. Yeah, okay, you moved on a bit. Yeah, so everything can always get better, but I have had moments where I've sat down and gone, yep, this is, this is perfect. Mm. I, I remember watching a fantastic interview with a, with a painter, I can't remember his name, an Australian guy, well into his 60s, who was a very famous uh, sort of corporate portrait artist. And, uh, and he was recounting the story where he went into a, a boardroom of this company where he'd, he'd painted one of the directors recently and, um, and was there to sort of pick up a, a brief to, um, or to sit, have someone else sit for him to paint them as well. And he was left alone in the boardroom for a few minutes and he looked at the painting he'd done about three years prior and was just incensed with what he'd done and, uh, and got his paints out and immediately started uh, sort of basically repainting a part of this painting, which, uh, anyway, it just reminded me of that. You look at something sometime later that, and you thought it was great, but you've kind of moved on. I mean, you do have to finish. You do have to finish it and go good enough. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you will always go back to it later and think, oh, what was I thinking? How did I not see this? And sure. I guess that's... Um, just, you know, this isn't a question that you've asked, but I will say um, something I've noticed a lot is that if I write a piece and then I send it away to be edited um, and the editor does their work and then it comes back to me, the clarity that they've brought, brought to the piece with editing then opens up the whole piece for me to then suddenly make it a lot better. Yeah, okay. So, so that helps as well. So, you know, it, it is very, very hard to edit your own work and even the best writers and editors of their own work do need to send it away, get fresh eyes on it, and then when it does come back to them, 
then they're able to probably do their best work to it. So yeah, actually, uh, that was the point I was going to raise is you talk there about self-editing and a good writer is somebody who can self-edit. But presumably yeah. you, you do. Well, I think you've answered it. You do get to a point where you can only do so much. But I yeah. think one of the points you're making is, well, yes, but you do need to do you need to to take some steps to edit because I guess what none of us want, what no publication wants, <laughs> are kind of lazy writers, writers that just yeah. knock something out and send it off. That's not the idea, is it? No, that no. and you, know, you do have to self edit, and you know if you're able to self edit and then let the piece sit for two weeks and then come back to it, then you then you'd be coming back to it with the same fresh eye as a, as an editor would. But very few of us have that luxury of writing something and letting it sit for a good while before we come back sure. to it and throw on deadline. Okay, let's, let's, let me just move into a slightly different direction. Is, is, um, what are some of the – just thinking about you and your position as an editor, so taking your sort of writing hat off for a second mm -hmm. and, and putting you into that sort of that editor role, um, what are some of the, the things, the mistakes that you see, perhaps before you even get – um, to the point of reading things, do you observe sort of classic kind of errors? I'm not just thinking at all of people that might be flying, uh, approaching flying solo, but they're just trying to get their work published anywhere. What are some of the clangers that you see that people make when they're trying to get the attention of an editor? Um, I think the number, number one thing is not understanding the publication and not understanding the audience of the publication is probably the number one thing. Sorry, mm. just repeated myself. But, yeah, that's the main one. I, it's a mistake I've made myself. It's a mistake pretty much everybody makes when they first start out writing is they have a great idea and they think it'd be great for this publication, but they don't quite understand the tone and the audience of the, of the publication. And so even though it's a great idea, the piece is just not going to be quite right. Hmm. And, it's, and it's not so hard, is it, to find out, to, to get under the skin of a publication? I mean, just, it's just a matter of reading it, isn't it, and following it for a while. Right. And that's unfortunately, you know, we don't want to do that work. We don't want to read the publication and get a feel for it, unfortunately, which is infuriating for editors because, then, you know, they're spending their time trying to tell you this isn't quite right. And then, the you know, the person comes back and goes, but why? Why isn't it quite right? Mm. And you kind of want to say, well, read the other articles on the site yes. and see. Yeah, and I guess, look, and with with, uh, with your help, and I know we'll, we'll uh, have more input from you as we go forward, but, you know, we, we certainly established some fairly clear and comprehensive yeah. guidelines. You know, if you've read the guidelines, it's, it tells you an awful lot, doesn't it? So I guess publications can can kind of sort of help themselves a fair bit as well. So um, we're looking again then at reasons or what, what makes people a good writer. We've gone through quite a few. They have to be good editors. They have to edit well. Got to have their voice. They need to show their vulnerabilities. Are there any other points that you certainly look for and that you think are kind of should be standard equipment for a good writer? Um, I think just the number one thing is some level of connection. So, and I mean, how you can, how do you create connection through your words? It's that conversational tone. It's that vulnerability, vulnerability that you're showing. Really, any good writing connects with the reader in some deep way and resonates. Resonance is the word. Any mm. anytime someone says, "I really like that piece of writing," what they're saying is that really resonated with me. So 
it's the resonance that you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. And how? So what? You know, you you publish your own blog, which I know is a very busy blog, and that you're doing for you've been doing now for how many years? The coming up on five years now. Five years. Okay. Yep. And that's a life less frantic. Would that be right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All all about literally my journey to a less frantic life. Okay. <laughs> which I hope we're contributing to. Yeah. But so, how do you find how important are comments to you? I mean, that's that's. I'm, I'm guess I'm moving on to kind of feedback. Is how yeah. important is it to you that you get comments, and how do you feel if you don't? Okay, I'd be lying if I said I didn't like getting comments. Um, comments have really dropped off in a big way off blogs worldwide now. Even some of the biggest, biggest bloggers in the world are getting you know two or three comments on the on blog posts here and there. Um, so I try to tell myself it doesn't really matter, but um, I've got a loyal enough readership that if I don't get comments, it does tell me that the piece hasn't resonated and that's just good feedback for me to know mm. that, right, well, you know, that just didn't hit the mark and, and live and learn. And I don't, I don't get too upset about it. I don't think, oh, my God, I'm never writing about that again or I'm the worst person in the world. Um because sometimes I just like to get a thought out there and it doesn't matter if people comment or not. But, um, yeah, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say comments are not important because people people are leaving less comments these days. People right. are reading on their smartphones. It's a real pain in the butt to try and compose any kind of meaningful comment on a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Or they're commenting on Facebook instead. Um so, yeah, so what I would say to other people is don't take it to heart because comments are hard to come by, but I myself do take it to heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it sounds like a work in progress. But I guess, you know, as you say, the, the truth is around the world there are a lot less comments than there were, and, and we notice that as well, of course. And yeah. we all, everybody does everything they can, and there's lots of developers working away all around the world trying to simplify and make that easier, and you can get little thumbs up and positive indications that you're, you know, that you're you're striking a chord and resonating in some way. But, yeah, I think it's... I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying is they're not important but yes of course they're important you know you're going to read them but you're very much particularly in your own blog you know you're writing very much from your heart you're writing about things that are very very personal so of course you're going to um, look out for those comments very very clearly aren't you now and I think um, I think what it is is you know if I'm writing you know my five favorite books that I read last week and I don't get any comments on that, I'm probably not going to care as much as if I write a post about the bravest thing I've ever done. Mm. You know? So there, there is that, again, it's that vulnerability thing. If I'm going to be vulnerable and put that out into the universe and then it doesn't resonate with anyone, it's going to hurt. I'm yeah. not Got you. Okay. So now I keep saying this to, to my son and uh, I just wanted to get your view on this. There is... I pretty sure we're still right to say are we not that the best writers are the are people who read a great deal do you concur with that yeah absolutely you do have you just have to you have to read really really widely um and the great writers are the ones who they probably don't even realize they're doing it but if they read something that just hits the mark they'll just read it over and over again and absorb exactly 
what kind of phrasing the writer used, um, just how they structured the sentence, how they structured the paragraph. I am constantly studying, you know, great opinion writers and how they, you know, how they kick off their piece, how they build their arguments, the little, um, yeah, just the little phraseologies that they use. I'm constantly taking that on board and, and yeah, trying to bring that to my own work without without copying it. Hmm. Okay. And again, so it doesn't, if you're writing, if you're back to that technology, right? So if you're writing on technology, it doesn't mean for a minute that you should be reading necessarily lots of other technology writers. No. It's just reading about, reading the writing of those people that engage and, and resonate and connect. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as I said, the, the biggest thing when you're reading is taking note of as much as what, taking note of what's left in but more importantly, what's left out because what's left out of a story really, really impacts on, you know, how it cuts through. And this, this applies to everyone. This applies to technology writers as much as to personal bloggers. You know, technology writers don't have to get really down and into the weeds with every single thing that they write. They just need to give the core of what they're trying to communicate. And you have to let people fill in blanks for themselves a little bit. You can't give them everything. They don't want everything. Hmm. Okay, and tell me finally. I'm going to ask. ask I'm going to ask you another closing question in a second. But um, what about sort of article length? You know, again, to somebody who's perhaps thinking about taking a step out into writing, is it is it better to have 150 words that are really strong and do all the things that you've said, or should we only, or should we be dragging that out to 500 words and sort of pepper the good stuff in the middle of it? What's your what about article length? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm. I loathe padding of, of any description. Um, so I would much, much rather see 150 amazing words than, than 500 words and it's only got those 150 words buried in there. Um, that said, 150 words is quite dissatisfying for people. So if you're going to write 150 words, make it a Facebook post. Right, okay. And if you're going to write... You know, but if you can get it out to 500 words and they're 500 solid words, then that becomes you know a blog post or an article. But ultimately, I, I subscribe to the rule of an article should be as long as it needs to be mm. to get your points across. Okay, and I guess sometimes you might have 150 words that is actually not quite ripe yet, not quite ready to yeah. be published. In other words, it's it's waiting for something more to come along. Do you have when you're writing yourself? Do you have sort of ideas that are in various stages of development? Oh, absolutely. And this is why I love Facebook and social media because if I do have a hundred, you know, I've actually just today literally had three of them um, kind of thrown down three kind of three paragraph ideas. And what I sometimes do is share those ideas on Facebook and I see whether they resonate, whether people comment on Facebook, but also the the stuff people bring to that conversation then informs my own thoughts about that idea and then what ends up at the other end is quite a rich blog post that, mm. yeah, not just my own ideas but is kind of almost a collective of, of the people that follow me on Facebook and it's, it's just, yeah, it's such a richer experience for me and for the people reading it. Mm. And isn't that a fantastic way to start out as a writer is just putting your initial thoughts out, even if they're short thoughts, if they're not fully worked through, but just to gauge reaction. It's a, it's a wonderful place to start, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And even, I, you know, I read 
you know, saw someone the other day where they said they use, like when they leave comments on blog posts, they use that as a little bit of a challenge to, you know, rather than just dashing off an idea, they try to leave something that, you know, it's only might be, might be 140 characters or, you know, 100 words, but they try to make that comment really good and well thought out and it's a writing exercise for them and that's mm. quite a good way as well mm. to kind of develop a craft. That is, isn't it? So that going back to that whole point of self-editing, but doing it right down to that sort of macro mm-hmm. level where you're commenting on other people's work or other people's yeah. Facebook pages or whatever. Fantastic. Well, look, now, Kelly, I'm going to ask you one other final question today, which is you've mentioned a, a couple of sort of names earlier on. Can I ask you, in your work, think about it broadly, whether it's going back through your sort of design background or through your writing, through where you are now, who's been the greatest influence on your work and what did that person teach you? Oh, okay. Um, there's been lots, obviously. I've had lots of people mentor me over the years. I'm going to say Penelope Trunk, who's um, a fairly big blogger in the US. Um, I've gone back and forth with Penelope. Penelope's one of those people that she's, she's very unfiltered and doesn't sugarcoat anything, which is brilliant if you can hack it. Um, and I can hack it. Um, I really, I mean, this from the point of view of being edited, having someone be quite brutal on your words is just such a gift mm-hmm. um, because it, it really forces you to look at them, you know, differently. So she, um, yeah, she asks really hard questions. Um, she makes you really define where you want to go and what you want to do. Um, she's a very good writer herself. Um, so, yeah. If I had to name one person, she's probably influenced me the most in mentorship from a mentorship point of view, but also just watching how she operates. I don't necessarily operate the way that she does, right. but I do learn a lot from, from what, what she does. So her name again was Penelope Trump, T-R-U-M-P? Uh, uh, T, uh, sorry, Trunk, T-R-U-N-K. Oh, okay, got you. And we'll find her, well, anybody can find her by, by yeah. go- Googling, I'm sure. All right, well, look, Kelly Exeter, thank you so much for joining us. People who'd like to, well, you're going to see a lot more of Kelly around Flying Solo, I'm delighted to say. You can also check out her, her own blog at kellyexeter.com.au and you'll find out all about a life less frantic. Kelly Exeter, thank you so much for joining us and um, see you soon. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening.